My name is Mike Evans. I serve on the pastoral staff here, particularly in the area of adult discipleship. And kind of before I dig into the message today, I want to take a minute and brag on uh, this area of our church. You guys... We just started our winter term of small groups, our scripture track our G, uh, that meets on Sunday nights, our Jesus track with our men's and women's studies and all the other ones as well. And our care groups are launched on Monday nights. Financial Peace starts tomorrow, so you can still join that one. Um, but guys, over the past couple of weeks, we've had over 700 of you engage in small groups over the past two weeks. Isn't that great? I'm so proud of you, Journey. I'm proud of our leaders. Just excited for what God is doing. And if you're sitting there thinking, hey, wait, I'm not in a group. Um, I want to get engaged. It's not too late. Come tonight to Scripture Track. Come Tuesday to Men's or Women's or one of the other groups. You can find out all about it on our, on our website and all of our different platforms. would love to connect you um, to one of those. I want to also welcome those of you who are participating online today. God bless you guys from wherever you are today. And I want to invite all of us together to turn in our Bibles, if you brought your Bible today, to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be focusing in on verses 24 through 33 in Matthew chapter chapter 10, which is the first gospel, uh, the first book in our New Testament. But before we dig into Matthew chapter 10, I just want to make a little confession uh, to you guys, if that's okay. There are few things in life that are more difficult to consistently do and do well than working out. Like for me, that has been a journey over the course of my entire life. We all want to be active. We all know we should be active, Many of us make New Year's resolutions to get more active, but so many of us struggle to just stay consistent, right? But there is this unique breed of people that I've gotten to know over the past few years that kind of take this this exercise thing to a whole new level, and they're called CrossFitters. How many of you know a CrossFitter in your life? Okay, well, if you don't know one... You do now because I I go to CrossFit, but I kind of call it CrossFit light. Like I take what we call the senior discount every time I walk into the gym to do it. But one of the things that's true about these guys who do CrossFit is that every time they go in, they're majorly aware that day in and day out, there will be sweat. It will be hard. They will be out of breath like they never thought they could be before. And at the end of every workout, they're exhausted at the end. And if you're anything like me, you're laying on the ground like a little baby at the end of every single CrossFit workout. But you know what's crazy about these people? They go anyway. They go anyway. They know how hard it's going to be. They know the challenge it's going to be. They know how tired and and pain they're going to be at the end, but they go anyway. And the reason they go, the reason I go to CrossFit light, (laughs) don't look up to me, I promise, really. (laughs) Because the reason we go is because the reward is worth the sacrifice. The reward is worth the sacrifice. So what the scripture today is going to teach us is that for us as followers of Jesus, for those of us who walk with Jesus, for those of us who serve Jesus, for those of us who follow Jesus, no matter what the cost, today's message is going to hopefully help us all understand that the reward is worth the sacrifice. So that's where we're going here in our time of study today. We've been in a series called Jesus People for many months. Um, and the premise of this series from week one has been simply this, to come to the realization of what it means to be followers of Jesus who live on mission for Jesus. You say, Mike, what do you mean by that? I mean simply this, that, that we live not for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again on our behalf. 
Last week's big idea, if you were here last week, um, you heard Pastor Christian give a powerful message um, out of the uh, verses preceding the ones we're going to study today. If you didn't hear it, I would encourage you to go back and give it, a, give it a watch or give it a listen. But the realization that we came to through the message last week was simply this, that this won't be easy. Jesus prom- is promising his disciples in this passage that it's not going to be easy to walk with him, that the sacrifices are great. So today is kind of part two of that message, and the, and the focus of today is simply this, the realization number six, it's that we go anyway, because we'll understand, hopefully through this study, that the rewards are worth the sacrifice. Today, we're going to look at four reasons why we go, despite the fact that it's going to be t- tough, but despite the fact that it's going to be hard, despite the fact that there will be obstacles and even persecution, but we go anyway. Because the reward is so worth it. But before we dig into the scripture, will you just take a moment with me and can we just pray together and invite the Holy Spirit to teach us through his word? Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, we're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful that there is another in the fire and his name is Jesus. We're so thankful this morning for who you are and for what you have done in our lives. I pray as we open up your word, as we dig into the text and Seek to kind of mine out, God, what you want to say to us through it today. God, would you use it to change us and challenge us to go anyway? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's start as you pull out your notes if you haven't yet or or fire up the JCI app if you haven't um, yet to follow along on our note-taking outline. But let's start by asking the question, why wouldn't we go? Like, why would we not follow Jesus. Like if you were to take a poll of people of who have, maybe there's people, some of you here today who you've made a decision to follow Jesus and you're seeking to follow Jesus, but right now you're in a place where you're like, I'm not sure I want to keep going in this relationship I have. I'm not sure I want to keep moving forward in this relationship. I, I, the, and I asked you the question, why not? That's what I want to dig into here for the first few minutes. Why would we, why would some of us And if you're here today, you probably know someone who has done this before. Why would we stiff arm Jesus in the call of God in our lives? There are people in all of our lives who started strong spiritually who are no longer walking with Jesus for this reason or that. They've stiff armed him. Why would people walk away? Well, one of the reasons why we're going to discover here as we open up Matthew 10 verses 24 through 25. He says, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, the student is not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Okay, so a couple details about this passage. One of the beliefs that the Jews of that day held was that the goal of a student was to become just like their teacher. To literally become just like their teacher. In fact, Israel back then in today is a dusty country, lots of dirt, lots of wind, kicking up dirt all the time. And the phrase that they would say is that they wanted the students to walk literally in the dust of their rabbi. Like as the rabbi walked, the students would be behind them, kind of in the backwash of their life, in the backwash of their teaching, in the backwash of their ministry. And that's, and that's, that's, what, that's the way things worked back in those days. And for us today... That really kind of speaks to a primary goal so many of us have as Jesus people, which is to become more like Jesus, literally to kind of walk, metaphorically speaking, in the dust of Jesus so we can be on mission for him. 
The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians, his letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 11, verse 1. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a leader of others. And there were people, Timothy, Titus, many others, who kind of followed in his dust, who kind of followed him as he led them. Jesus himself, when he called all of his disciples, one of the common threads uh, to, the, uh, to, the, to the enlisting of the disciples who followed Jesus, when he would always look at them and say what? Come, follow me. And there was no mistake in the disciples' minds what Jesus was saying when he said that to them. But here's the deal, y'all. Becoming like Jesus comes at a cost. That word Beelzebul you see there was a popular term in that day for Satan. And that meant that people would often call Jesus Satan, a demon rather than a savior. And if Jesus being the teacher was called that, then the followers could be kind of assumed that they were kind of following Satan. They were kind of almost junior demons or demon apprentices, however you want to put it. Jesus is saying here, listen, guys, my opponents are calling me Satan. And if you're with me, you're going to catch that same heat. If you wear the uniform, you're on the team. And Jesus' point here is simple. If you live like him, you're going to be treated like him. If they say it about Jesus, they're going to say it about you. And that's the key point. And that often will result in people not being your biggest fan. Of not, um, and let's not forget some of the hard truths, if you were here last week, that Pastor Christian shared with us last week. Hard truth number one, that not everybody is into Jesus. Why do you take this Jesus thing so seriously? Like, why is this such a big deal? Can't you just like be a religious person and just kind of, you know, maybe go to church, but then just put it on the shelf for the rest of the week and live your life your way like I do? Like, what's the big deal about this Jesus to you? Don't be so radical. Ever heard that word? You want to go on a mission trip? You want to go overseas to tell other people about you? You want to represent Jesus in your community? Like, what has gotten into you? You want to go to youth camp instead of cheer camp or, or band camp or football camp? You want to go learn about Jesus rather than that stuff? What has gotten into you? You know, maybe the clearest verse from last week um, that Christian, Pastor Christian shared was Matthew 10, verse 22. He says, you will be hated by everyone because of me. Why wouldn't we go? Why would we stiff arm Jesus? Why maybe are you stiff arming Jesus right now? Because the promise that Jesus makes is that it's hard. It's not an easy life. It's scary. It will cost you. And I don't know about you, but I don't, when, when I wake up in the morning, I don't think, hey, Jesus, let's see who we can get to hate us today. Like, I'm not that kind of guy. But I, when I'm told by Jesus that people are going to hate me for any reason, man, I don't like that. I don't want that. That's not something I look forward to experiencing. That's not something I like experiencing when it happens to me these days. But if we want to be Jesus people, if we want to be true followers of Jesus, we've got to embrace what we call the whole counsel of Scripture. We've got to take the good with the bad. We've got to take the grace with the trials, including the hard truths that Jesus passes our way with. It's part of the deal. So we know why we wouldn't go. 
Some people hop off because they don't want to be called names. Some people hop off because they don't want to face the trials. Some people hop off because they, want, they love sin more than Jesus. There's all kinds of reasons why people don't go. But here, let's take the rest of our time journey and talk about why we should follow in the dust of our rabbi. Why we should follow our leader, Jesus. Why should we go anyway? If it's going to cost us so much, if it's going to be hard, if it's going to be challenging, if there's going to be trials, if there's going to be obstacles you're going to have to overcome, if it's going to be difficult, why should we stay with it? Well, let's spend the rest of our time walking through the text and let it teach us how to do that. In light of how hard Jesus promises us that it will be, why do we go? Here's reason number one. Number one, because one day everything will be made right. Journey, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, y'all. It may be today. It could be in the next five minutes. That'd be okay with me. That was supposed to be funny. But anyway, it could be tomorrow. It could be next year. It could be next century. I don't know when it's going to be, and you don't know when it's going to be. None of us do. But the reality is, the truth is that Jesus is coming back. And when, not if Jesus comes back, he's going to set everything right. Here's what he says in verse 26. He says, so do not be afraid of them, the haters, for there will be nothing, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. See, the first reason we are given to not be afraid is because one day everything will be disclosed. Everything will be brought to light and the truth will be made known. In light of what Jesus said, and in light of this this truth, should we expect people to oppose our message? Absolutely. Should we expect people to honestly, from their perspective, believe we are wrong? There are people who will literally say to me, Mike, you are wrong on God. You are wrong on the Bible. You're wrong on marriage. You're wrong on, you fill in the blank. But listen, we should expect that. You know why we should expect that journey? Because they did it to Jesus. And if they did it to Jesus, they'll do it to us. This means that we're going to have to put up with a lot of people. And maybe you have already. Maybe you haven't yet, but you will. If you keep living for Jesus, you will. Who have said things about you or to you that are hurtful and untrue. But Jesus says, don't worry. Guys, one day we're going to set the record straight. In fact, we sang about it just a couple of minutes ago. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says this. It says, at the name of Jesus, every knee. How many knees? Every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord through the glory of God the Father. The point, the fact that one day this truth, that he's coming back and he's going to set everything right, The fact that one day the truth will prevail should give us the boldness to tell the world about Jesus. This should inspire us. This should infuse us with passion and compassion to say, hey, there's a lost and hurting world that doesn't know Jesus. And are they going to say or do hurtful and untrue things about us? Yes, Jesus promises that. But one day he's going to set all things straight. And this is a tough one for me, though, because I love being right. I love pleasing people. I'm a self-confessed people Pleaser. That's what I love to do. I love to make people happy. But this point helps me realize that if I walk closely with Jesus, I'm not going to make everyone in my life happy. I don't have to be right all the time. I don't have to always be understood. I can bite my tongue 
like Jesus did so often. Do you guys notice that as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? That there's so many times where, man, Jesus could have just let people have it with his words, but he didn't. He just bit his tongue because he knew that one day everything would be made right. You see, God doesn't need us to defend his honor. God doesn't need you to defend him. Do you know why? Because he's God. Sometimes we feel like we need to like step in there for God so that he knows that we're for him. He doesn't need that. He is God. He is worthy of our praise because of who he is. It's called his self-existence. He, because of who he is, he is God. He dwells in what we call inexpressible light. He is glorious. He is so great and glorious. His weight is so heavy that it's unbelievable. God is not just holy journey. God is holy, holy, holy. You know what that means? That means he is set apart perfect. That means he is the most pure being who ever has and ever will exist. And listen, he doesn't need us to help him make things right. He will make things right. One day, everything will be made right. So what does that do for us? It infuses a motivation in us to go anyway, even when it's hard, despite what people say, despite what people do to you or about Jesus. Here's the second reason we go anyway. It's this, that um, let her be there. It's God, because God is bigger than man. And by man, I mean just people, humankind, okay? Let's just, that's how I'm going to say it, okay? In verse 28, Jesus says it this way. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy, destroy both soul and body in hell. Question, who can kill the body but not the soul? People can, right? People can kill the body, but they can't touch your soul. Who can kill both? God can. What's Jesus doing here? He's painting a picture of what our, where our vision needs to be. Does our focus need to be on people who can only do things to us kind of in this realm? Or does it need to be on God, who's the author of this life and the next one? See, that's the, that's, the, that's the reason we go anyway, because God is bigger than man. He's given us, Jesus has given his disciples perspective here, that there's a bigger picture going on that, that they don't see. Jesus is basically saying, why fear people when all they can do is like hurt you physically? God can do that too, but he can do way more. Paul said it this way in the first chapter of his letter to the church in Philippi. He said, for me to live as Christ and to die as what? To die as gain. So if I live, I live to honor Jesus. If I die, I get to be with Jesus. That's what we call a win-win. Stephen Covey, eat your heart out. That's a win-win. If I live, I live for Jesus. If I die, I'm with Jesus. Win-win. That's the perspective Jesus wants us to have. But as I was thinking through this point, I had this concern that, that we really wouldn't feel the impact of this verse because we don't live in a country where physical like persecution and torture for Jesus is something that's the norm. It's not normative. Some people experience that, but it's not really our reality if we're really honest. We don't live in a nation where it costs us physically to follow Jesus. So I wanted to maybe drive this point home by giving you another illustration. How many of you have flown on an airplane before? So, okay, most of the hands in the the audience are up. Okay, good. Um, So um, even if you haven't flown in an airplane before, 
you, you can probably relate to this story. You know how like before a flight, when the flight attendants kind of stand in the aisle there and one in the front, one in the middle, one towards the back, and they give those instructions about what to do if the plane starts going down, like if we're going to crash and burn, and they kind of give you all those instructions. Um, how many of you have heard those like so many times that listening to the flight attendant talk is like listening to Charlie Brown's teacher on the Peanuts show? You know, kind of wah, 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 wah. You're not, you know, if you're a flight attendant here or are friends with one, I'm sorry, I'll try to do better, okay? But that's kind of my MO when I hear the flight attendant. I worry that talking about physical suffering for Jesus could kind of become spiritual white noise, like listening to a flight attendant give instruction, crash instructions is physical white noise for so many of us because we don't live in a country where faith jeopardizes our lives. We live in a country where our greatest threat is not so much people harming us, but maybe people canceling us or slandering us or saying or writing things about us that, um, that are hurtful or not including us. I don't know about you. I have a lot of friends that are not followers of Jesus and we hang out, we talk, we have fun together. But when they like go out, guess who gets uninvited? Pastor Mike. That's just the way it is. And that hurts. That's not persecution, but that stinks. I hate that. But the tension here is that Jesus is assuming that there's reason to fear man because they'll try to kill you. So he makes the argument, I understand that kind of fear, but don't fear what people can do to you. Fear God. I love this. Pastor Christian Gracia shared this and, uh, with me and. um And I just thought it was such gold that I wanted to put it on the screen. It's not in your notes, but you might want to take a screenshot of it. Um, I just love this quote that he he gave um, here when he said this. When our faith doesn't come with much cost, there's little reason to fear man. Where there's little reason to fear man, there's little reason to fear God. Let me say that again just so it kind of catches you because I know it can sound like almost like a little bit of a tongue twister. It says, when our faith doesn't come with much cost, there's little reason to fear man. Why should I be afraid if you're not going to, can't do anything to me? But when there's little reason to fear man, there's little reason to fear God. So how do we apply this for today? How do we, how do we kind of go to seed on this idea? Well, I don't think it means looking for a fight in the name of Jesus. I don't think we should be fight pickers as follower, followers of Jesus, but it does relate to us in this way. And here's the point I want to make. This is a call to live our lives aiming to please God and not to try to win over man. I think one of the things Jesus is saying here is don't live your life so that other people will say nice things about you. Don't live your life so that you will win the favor of other people. It's not wrong to have the favor of other people, but that's not our goal. Our goal is one goal only, and that's to honor God with our lives. So last weekend, I got to go back home, and when I say that, I get, that means I got to go back to the state where I grew up. I got to go back to Texas, back to Dallas, where my bro- mom and my brother um, both live, and uh, we were, I was back there last weekend to celebrate my mom's 80th birthday. It was so fun. We had a great time with her. She's in assisted living, and she doesn't get around physically very well, but boy, her mind is still sharp, and she still can make me laugh like nobody in my life. We bought her a t-shirt that said basically this. I can't remember the exact words. It was basically, I worked really hard to look this good. Um, You know, and I'm thinking 80 years, you can say whatever you want, honey. (laughs) You go. But my mom is very important to me, as is my younger brother, Philip. And the reason why is because our father, our dad, her husband, my dad, Um, mom's husband, my dad, um, passed away when I was six years old. 
um, of congestive heart failure. Literally, one night kissed me goodnight, and the next day he was gone. And so my mom raised, and my brother was four when that happened. So my mom raised me and my brother. And when I was 19, I was a sophomore going into my junior year of college. My mom met a guy, really good guy. His name was Wayne. Um, So I was in college when they got married. I didn't know Wayne really well, um, but I liked him. He loved my mom and uh, took great care of her until he passed away. Um, But at the end of my college career... um, getting close to graduating. And so obviously the question everybody gets asked when you get to the end of college is, what are you going to do with your life, right? So I had sensed the Lord's call on my life to engage in full-time ministry and student ministry to go to the mission field. And that's what I did. Um, But I remember talking to him and to my mom about it. My mom just was like, she just, you know, did like she does, just put her hand on my hand and just said, well, honey, whatever makes you happy, I'm for that, you know, because that's what moms do, right? Or at least my mom did. But Wayne just kind of had this disappointed look as, he was, as I was kind of unpacking for him the call of God in my life and what I was planning to do with the next chapter. And he said, I'm going to say something to you that I don't know if you're going to like it or not, but I'm going to say it. And basically, to put it all in a nutshell, he said, I think you're wasting your life by making this decision to go into full-time ministry. You have such potential, and you're going to just go waste your life and tell people about Jesus. And I remember listening to him and, and uh, hearing that. It was not what I was expecting to hear at all. And um, I said, okay, and I argued with him a little bit because I was 21 years old, and that's what 21-year-olds do when they, they're told something they don't want to hear, uh, at least this one, and uh, uh, argued with him a little bit, and then I said, okay, I will take what you said, and I will think about it, and I will pray about it, and I'll just, just give me some time to think about it. And I did that. I prayed about it, and I thought about it, and, and as I prayed, and as I processed, and as I thought about the future and what God, I believed was calling me to do, it was like the Holy Spirit just kind of whispered to my heart, Very similar words to what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. And here's what the Lord said to my heart. You're on earth, Mike, to please me, not him. So you follow my call in your life, not his. And so I did. Here I am. You know, it was the missionary Jim Elliott years ago who said this, that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. That's his earthly life, to gain what he cannot lose, eternal life with God. And for me, that meant giving my life to full-time ministry, making a difference in people's life rather than making a living. For you, um, that might mean giving your life to being the best businessman or woman for Jesus that God has called you to be, the best parent for Jesus that God has called you to be, the best you fill in the blank, housewife, student, teacher, nurse, whatever it is that the Lord has called you to, Say, Jesus, I'm going to do this for you, not for the boss, not for man. But I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to honor you by the way I treat people, the way I respect people, the way I love people, the way I serve people, the way I lead people. That's the call you've given to me in my life, and that's what call God wants to give to you. You see, God is bigger than man, and because he is, we want to please him, not people. Amen? That's the call. Here's the third reason why we go that God intimately knows and cares about us. God intimately knows and cares about us. Jesus says it this way, starting in verse 29. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. See, the third reason we go anyway is because God intimately knows us and he cares for us. He knows the amount of hairs on your head. 
I'm not going to look at Pastor Ryan. I'm not going to look at Pastor Ryan. I'm not going to look at Pastor Ryan. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows every, and that's just metaphor. He knows that, but he also, what that means is he knows everything about you. He knows you intimately, and he loves you unconditionally. You see, these verses show the extent of God's intimate knowledge and care for his children. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a brilliant way I think Jesus uses here to depict how God knows us and even the smallest details of our lives that he is intimately acquainted with and he loves us right where we are. For those of you who were here about a month ago when the Barrick family was here, one of the things that Jen, I think we're gonna get mileage out of Jen Barrick for years to come. But one of the things that Jen said in the middle of her chuckles when she was this, she said, there is no way that God could love you any more than he loves you right now. And there's no way that he could love you any less than he loves you right now. And then she would go, <laughs> and then everybody would go, I want to love Jesus like you. <laughs> there's no way God could love you any more, Journey, than he does right now. He knows everything about you. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly of all of your life. And he loves you right where you are. The great theologian and pastor Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, if there were nobody else in the world except you, and God had nothing else to do but think of you, and there were no objects of his attention beyond yourself, and his eternal mind had no objects of consideration but you only, the Lord would not then know more about you than he does right now. You see, he knows everything about you. Your wife may not, your kids may not, your, your friends may not, but you know who knows everything about you? God does. And listen, he loves you right where you are. He made no mistake when he made you. You may look yourself in the mirror and not like what you see. You know who loves what they see when they look at you? God does. He looks at your quirkiness, speaking of myself right now, and he delights in that. He chuckles at it. He sees your anxieties. He says, give them to me because I love you and care for you. He sees your stubbornness, and he says, let me take that and use it for good and a will to follow God with all his heart, all your heart. He sees your insecurity, the things that scare you, and he says, give them to me, and I'll take care of those for you. He sees your fears, and he says, trust me with those. Because I know you intimately and I love you right in the middle of that. You know, I've worked with students for a long time. And one of the things that is true of most, if not all, but most students, when they look themselves in the mirror, they don't really like what they see very much. Can I just say to you, and we're all, we're, most of us in the room are grown-ups. There's some students here, of course, too. But can I just say, we're all kind of grown-up students anyway, aren't we? Yeah. Can I say to you that when God looks at you, he loves what he sees. He intimately cares and loves for you. See, in verses 29 and 31, we learn that God oversees the selling of two sparrows, the, um, the amount, one penny, and the number of sparrows, too. And that's a really insignificant thing, like economically, Yet God is attentively watching over all of them. You see, the argument Jesus is making here is this. It's really simple. If God cares so much about these sparrows, how much more do you think he cares for his children? The answer is a whole bunch more. 
You see, remember the things Jesus is teaching are intended to, were intended then and are still intended today to encourage us as followers that no matter what happens, no matter what trials, what persecution, what's said or done to us or about us, to keep our perspective on Jesus and to know that no matter what happens in your life, that he loves you and you are no mistake and he cares for you and he intimately wants to have a relationship with you. You, you know, that's such a beautiful thought. And, and, you know, the Apostle Paul, I love how he said, says, talks, speaks to this matter um, in the last letter he wrote in the New Testament. It was 2 Timothy. He wrote it to um, one of his apprentices, Timothy, who was leading the church in a very influential city called Ephesus. Um, and he says this starting in verse 10. He says to Timothy, he says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance. You know everything about all I've been through persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul is saying here that despite all he had to go through from people, says in, like in Lystra, um, what's interesting is in Lystra, he was actually stoned, dragged out of the city, and left for dead. So he's not saying God doesn't allow bad things to happen to us. Lots of bad things happened to Paul. But as long as he was on earth, God had a task and a work for him to do. That's a beautiful thing to consider, to live as Christ again, to die is gain. The point is because God knows about us and cares about us better than anybody, we can trust him with our lives. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. You can trust me with your life. No matter what happens, the good, the bad, and the ugly in your life, you can trust me because, number one, I'm going to make all things right one day. Number two, I have a perspective that's bigger than the perspective that so many people on earth have. My, my perspective is God-sized, and you need to have that perspective too. Number three, I intimately love and care for you. And then number four, and the fourth reason we go anyway is because in the end, everyone will stand before God. How many? Everyone. Jesus says it this way in verse 32. He says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. The bottom line, we go because we're motivated by the mission, because it was a lost and broken and hurting world in desperate need of a Savior. And we're comforted by the promises that he's with us, he's for us, he loves us, he'll never leave us, he'll empower, strengthen us, all the things. Journey, there will come a day when we will all give an account to God. And that should motivate and encourage us and comfort us in the middle of the mess and the mission that he's called us to live out. If you think back all the way to week one of this series, about six or seven, six or seven weeks ago, You'll remember this, that from week one of the Jesus People series, this Jesus People series, this spiritualization number one was this, that our greatest need and our greatest purpose is spiritual. And Jesus people believe that the world is lost and broken by sin and separated from God for an eternity without Jesus unless we surrender. We say, you are God and we are not. And we bow to Jesus and we say, I want to follow you. We go 
Because the reward, again, journey, is so worth the sacrifice. And I don't know where you've, are, what you've brought into the auditorium here today, into the worship center. I don't know what you're experiencing if you're online today. But I do know this, that if you will bow your knee to Jesus, he will forgive you. He will come into your life. He will cleanse you. And he will do an incredible, powerful work in your life. He will. He promises he will do that. If you're here today and you need to give your heart to Jesus, we're going to give you that opportunity here in just a couple of minutes. But maybe you're here today and you've been stiff-arming Jesus. It got hard. It got challenging. A relationship, a job thing, whatever it might be, whatever it might be. And you sense in your spirit that you're stiff-arming Jesus. And you need to drop your arm and to allow his embrace to envelop you once again. We want to give you the opportunity to do that. And here's how we want to do that. We're going to open the altar here in just a minute. And I'm going to invite any and all who are here this morning who just say, you know what, I need to come forward and I need to pray. Maybe you need to pray on your own. That's totally fine. Just um, the people who will be up here um, from our spiritual care team who I'll invite in just a minute, we'll just, they'll be sensitive to that. But maybe you need someone um, to, to pray for you, to pray with you. Because you can't do it alone. You need someone to put their arm around you and say, and ask God with you to help you um, in that journey. Wherever you're at, whatever you need, we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you because we believe there's power in that. There's victory in that. When we bring things out into the light, we say, God, help me. God, help me. I need your help. I'm desperately lost without you, and I need your help in this area. Will you pray for me? We're going to invite you in just a minute to do that. If you're on the spiritual care team or one of our pastors here, I'm going to invite you forward to come to the front. The band is going to come out here, and they're going to um, kind of lead us into I Surrender All here in just a second. And I love that we're going to do I Surrender All, and here's why. How many of you guys remember that? If you're old-timers, you, you remember that song, I Surrender All? Yeah, you've been around for a while. You know that song. It says this, it says, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. But before we can live in his presence journey, we've got to surrender. Not just some, but all. So as the band begins to play, they're just going to play softly. I want to give you the opportunity to come forward. Um, also, at this time, the communion stations will be open. If you want to, um, there's communion on either side and kind of towards the back of the worship center as well, as well. If you want to go individually or as a family to go take communion, just remember the body and the blood of Jesus that was broken and his blood that was shed for you. Um, you're welcome to go take communion to remember Jesus. We want to just let this be a time where we just are able to marinate on who God is and what he has done. I want to invite you all to stand. And if you feel like you need to come forward for prayer, to take communion, whatever ministry you need, this is your time for that to take place as the band leads us. Audra.
prayer. Father, I want to pray right now in this moment for any here who uh, maybe they were nervous about coming forward. Maybe they are just wrestling in their own hearts so deeply that they don't feel like they could even move. But God, I want to pray for friends in this place who that is their story right now. I want to pray for any who today they've come face to face. Maybe a friend brought them. Maybe they just kind of found themselves here. They come face to face with the reality that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, like so many of us have already admitted to ourselves and to God. God, I pray for, for them here specifically. If that's you this morning, will you just in the silence of this moment, in the safety of this place, in a place of surrender, in a place where Jesus reigns, will you admit to Jesus your need for him, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? Will you take this time to say, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for the choices I've made, for the sins I've committed. Will you forgive me and cleanse my heart of my past? Would you heal me of my hurt? Would you lead me into the future that you have for me, not that I want for me? Would you surrender your life to the purposes of God in this moment and ask for his salvation and commit to follow him? Jesus, I pray that there are any here today who that's their prayer, that's their heart's cry, that that they would have the courage to fill out that Connect card, to to tell somebody, whether it's someone who brought them or someone in our Connection Center, someone up here on the care team, just tell somebody before they leave, I gave my heart to Jesus today so we can begin to help you in that step. But God, I pray for the rest of us here, for others who just need to say, God, help me not to stiff arm you when it gets hard but help me to drop my arms and allow you to embrace me and to lead me. Help us all to walk in the dust of our rabbi, to to, to follow Jesus with all of our hearts, no matter what it costs. Because one day, it'll all be made right. One day, we'll see as God sees. We get to live in that love and care that God has for us, and we get to experience that grace. God, I pray that today we would walk in that victory because that's what you've called us to walk in. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are and for what you've done. And as we kind of turn now to sing that song again, let us sing it with everything that we are and everything that we have. Guys.